We all want quality care as we get older, but it's not always available where you live. If you live in remote or regional Australia especially, you could well end up very far from home. The Yolngu people of Nulunboy in the far northeast of the Northern Territory have campaigned for decades for an aged care centre to be established in their town so that elders could stay on country. And now it's a reality. The Yutuwala Juwar Centre has opened with a model of care that sounds pretty remarkable, but maybe it doesn't have to be. When you think about how you'd like to live when you're older, what's your ideal model? Has someone you know had a positive experience in aged care that you wish was more common and you'd like to see it spread around the country? Therese Marchesi is the Executive Manager for Empowered Communities at the Yothu Yindi Foundation, and she was the Project Manager for Uchuwala Jua. Therese, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you very much for having me, Hilary. Great to have you here. And Irene Blackberry is our guest today too. She's the John Richards Chair and the Director of the John Richards Centre at La Trobe University. Her specialty is research into the care economy. Irene, welcome. Good morning. Therese, I'll I'll get you to paint me a picture first of Boy. What's the area around the centre like especially? What's it look like? So Nolanboy is the township of um, the the largest township in northeast Arnhem Land. Um, We've got about between three and 4,000 people here and service over, up to 100 homelands, 100,000 kilometres of um, uh, rural, uh, sorry, re- very remote land. So um, we've got one hospital, one supermarket in Nullumboy itself, um, post office and people, you know, that have, that require um, services need to come into Nullumboy from their homelands. So what used to happen before your centre was built when someone from the community needed more medical assistance as they grew older? Or ongoing medical assistance, yes. Um, yes. They would have to go to Darwin. That was their only option. And so the local people here associated going to Darwin with not coming back, basically. That was the end. So yeah, they literally were campaigning for years to make to get a facility on country here that was accessible. Um, Nullaboy is accessible for people far more than Darwin is, and it means that people can stay connected to their country and their family. And people. And as this is a service hub, people come in from homelands regularly. It means that the residents um, receive visitors on a regular occasion. So, Therese, can you tell us a bit more about that, the, the idea that going to Darwin meant that you wouldn't come back? Was that just about the distance or was it about the associations with Darwin as well? It was about both, um, it, and it was really about being isolated because... To leave Nolanboy, um, you drive 694 kilometres on a dirt track or you fly and you, the flight is an hour and the cost is exorbitant. So it meant that people, once they went one way, coming back was another matter and having family actually be able to access you, have access to you and visit you was, you know, near on impossible. So anybody who needed regular, you know, who was in receipt of ongoing care, um, it meant that they were quite often... Um, not seeing family at all and and, and living, um, feeling very isolated in either care um, facilities or hospital settings. We're speaking with Therese Marchesi, who's the Executive Manager for Empowered Communities at the Yothu Yindi Foundation, and she was the Project Manager for Yuchuwala Jawa, which is an aged care facility on quite a different model to those you might be familiar with. And it took a really long time to get off the ground, didn't it, Therese? What, What was the mood like in the community when you came on board about whether this would ever happen? I think people were very, well, people have been very patient to start with. They've been working long and hard to make this happen. 
when we actually broke ground, uh, it was a very emotional time. We had the builders involved literally from day one alongside some of the Yungwil elders who had been campaigning and they literally broke ground and developed a relate. Well, the relationship started at that point, basically, where people understood just how significant this project was, that it wasn't actually just a building. This was um, something that people had worked and worked and worked for, because obviously in Indigenous culture, um, closeness to family is really, really important, having the opportunity to see family on a regular basis. And we've been really, um, what we see here in our model of care in the setting, we have family members, young kids coming in to see their grandparents, you know, various different age groups coming to visit. Um, quite often, because all the families are connected, somebody will come to visit one family member and in, inadvertently visit five others as well. So. Uh, it's it's really special. And it's really different to a lot of the terrible stories we hear from other aged care centres where sometimes people don't get any visitors at all. Uh, we'll come back in a moment to the role of culture and community in the ongoing uh, workings of the centre. But Irene Blackbury, as your, uh, from your perspective uh, as a researcher into the care economy in, in these facilities, setting up aged care facilities in people's communities seems like the ideal situation. But what are some of the challenges that often need to be overcome if that's going to happen? I think the funding model and the, the workforce, you know, uh, are two critical issues that, you know, need to be uh, overcome with. Uh, but, you know, the benefits of ageing in place obviously, you know, outweigh, you know, any of the challenges, you know, that might be possible. And this is, you know, one, I guess, you know, classic example of, you know, how the whole community can actually make things happen, you know, despite the challenges. So you mentioned workforce, Irene. Is that uh, the situation that the they the skilled workforce seems to clump together in the major cities, and it's often hard to get people out to regional and rural and remote areas? Yeah, so that's that's one of the issues. But I think even in the metropolitan areas, you know, we do see that you know it's getting uh, more and more difficult, not only to attract. Uh, the workforce, but also skilled uh, workforce. So we do need to look at different models to make it more, I guess, not only accessible, but, you know, make it more sustainable in the rural remote uh, region, because there is no other options, really. Yes, well, Therese talked before about how difficult it is if people have to be separated from their families and communities. In general, why is that so damaging? I mean, loneliness is a terrible thing in itself, but are there other impacts, Irene, that we see on people's health and well-being? The social isolation, I think, is really the key here, particularly for older people. I mean, Therese mentioned about culture, and, you know, culture is definitely uh, an important uh, part uh, of life. But, you know, we do need to look at the whole ecosystem, uh, you know, taking people away from their current environment, from their current ecosystem, you know, and move them to a hospital, you know, like far away, 600, 700 kilometres away. Sometimes it's not the solution. It is a medical care model. And I think, you know, that is not, you know, what is, I guess, you know, appropriate or relevant in most cases in aged care. 
We're speaking with Irene Blackberry, who's a researcher into the care economy at La Trobe University, and Therese Marchesi, who's been involved with Uchuala Jua, which is a very unusual model of care in an aged care facility in Nulanboy. Therese, you mentioned before the, the way that community's been involved every step of the way. Tell us a bit more about what kinds of things they've collaborated on. I understand some of the designs of how things will look. Literally everything was collaborated on and I think that's kind of the key to the success of, of Uchuology while there's a pride in this facility um, within the region, within the people, because um, Yungle people, what they do best is care for their own. And so actually listening to them from the start and help them to, you know, to, to see the vision come to reality was um, a huge uh, opportunity for me personally, but also to see for, for them to, you know, that whole collaborative piece. They, the Jungle people always talk about Balanda Ga Jungle working together. And in every position in the facility, we've got that arrangement. It's a hand in hand process of delivering care. So the Jungle people, the Jungle workforce that are part of the facility play as an important role as any of the uh, medical staff. And I think what um, your other guest was mentioning around the medical model, what we have done is moved away from a medical model and focusing on wellness versus illness. And so all our workers are wellness workers. They are, and the young will have a name for that that they wanted to give. It was called Riala, the Riala worker. And a Riala worker, um, Riala means the stream, it means, um, you know, restoration, restorative, um, I mean, this is obviously my interpretation. You all can give a much better explanation, but it's about water and that water keeps us alive and well. Um, that's a, that's an important part of our lives. And that's what those Riala workers are. They're an important part of the lives of the residents. They're an important part of the facility. And um, and they're proud to wear the uniform and they're proud to to show the, those medical staff who are, have to obviously deliver on care standards that um, the care needs, the care that they are delivering needs to be culturally appropriate and relevant to the individual resident themselves. That's a really interesting uh, example that you give there about the wellness workers as opposed to just being involved in, say, you know, handing over a medication, ticking a box about the blood pressure and things like that. What does it look like day to day, Therese, when people have these interactions with those workers? What, what kinds of wellbeing do they talk about? Um, there's a lot of language uh, occurring. There's a lot of, if, for example, somebody is presenting with um, particular medical signs and symptoms, there's an interaction and an engagement with one of the Riala workers to understand um, potentially what may be troubling or bothering the resident. So quite often we've had many, many examples where nurses have assumed, for example, uh, where somebody's at or what they need or don't need, and then the Riala worker has stepped in and ex assisted them to understand what the, the true reality is. As far as on a day-to-day -day basis, we've got, and we spoke about the funding arrangement, uh, Irene spoke about the funding arrangement, we've got um, in this case, it's a Nazi flexi funding arrangement, so which is different, a different funding arrangement is Commonwealth funded and a different arrangement to what the majority of aged care facilities are provided with um, around the country. Um, it allows, you know, as the name said, some flexibility and some flexible care arrangements. And that allows um, the team, so we've got an advisory team, a Jungle advisory team, who've been part of the process from start to finish since I've been working with them and, and I stay involved in a steering group as well. So every resident that comes in, there's a discussion with the Jungle staff around, you know, what will fit, what will work, how will it work, 
um, I think another really important point I'd like to make is there's been a lot of forgiveness. So because we did, you know, this is the concept of aged care in northeast Arnhem Land is a very new concept. And so obviously there's been times we've got things wrong, but the fact that we can come together and there's a trust in the relationship and we were starting from ground zero, we've been able to, we're learning on the job basically, and we're all learning and that's been, um, there's been no major incidents that have happened, but where there have been, you know, some misunderstandings, there's been the opportunity to rectify and learn from them. I understand too, Therese, that in some facilities, the staff can feel a bit more like wardens to the residents, but you've really made an effort to say, no, we're, we're collaborating here. And that might mean that day-to-day reactions to people's behaviours might be different, mightn't it? Absolutely. And what we're seeing is I'll give you an example of one resident who was actually living out on the street for at least 10 years that I know of, um, possibly longer. Everybody had concerns for him, but nobody knew quite what to do because there wasn't a facility. And going to Darwin wasn't an option because he was very mobile and, you know, would have been wandering in Darwin. So what ended up happening was he was put forward as a potential resident. He's joined the facility and during the day he goes out and sees all his friends and he comes home. And if he's not home by four or five or whatever the agreement was, then the staff will go and have a look. And basically the community knows where he lives and, you know, if it's late or something's occurring or there's any, for example, if you had a fall, if that were the case and it hasn't been, but everybody knows to ring the age, ring your chawala and... Um, that gentleman will be collected. But what it's meant is that he's been cared for, he's having good meals, he's got somewhere to sleep, he's got the interactions that he's having within the facility, but he hasn't lost the connection to family, friends and his normal, you know, what he was enjoying on a day-to-day basis before he went into formal care. Irene Blackbury, when we look at the aged care landscape more broadly, we've heard from Therese Marchese about Marchese, sorry, about uh, the incredible involvement of the community at, as she said, every single level of the design and the implementation and the ongoing staffing, and also about this model of patient-centred care that really takes into account their their history and their current preferences as well as uh, the, the care needs that they might have. How widely applicable is that across Australia when, we, when it comes to aged care? I think there are not many successful uh, models and even you know when there are successful models unfortunately it hasn't been evaluated and the 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 good news I guess you know haven't been shared uh, quite widely so I'm involved in uh, another project uh, just here in Victoria in Heathcote so it's about an hour's drive uh, from Melbourne called the Costerfield House so it's led by a group called the Hithka Dementia Alliance. And it's a similar, I guess, you know, to what uh, Tris uh, mentioned about, you know, like the importance of having that community. And we added, in addition to that, you know, we actually added uh, the use of technology. So AI enabled, I guess, um, facility that, you know, can help older people to continue to age in place and live independently. So are these the the removable, transportable accommodation options? So they can be, say, in the back out of a residence, a, a residence relative, and then they could move somewhere else if, as their care needs progressed. Exactly. So I think we try to uh, give people uh, options, and uh, 
the initial uh, development, the, the uh, prototype that uh, we are about to launch uh, next month is uh, designed for people with dementia. But, you know, obviously, you know, we can uh, use that uh, the, the housing, you know, into uh, other care conditions. So people requiring uh much, I guess, uh, complex care, like people with a disability or uh, other type of, of care needs. So the idea here is, you know, to have an environment that people are familiar with and that, I guess, environment, you know, can stay with the person, regardless whether, you know, it's in the backyard or, you know, if we move that uh, transportable housing, you know, closer to a rural health service. Irene, we've had a very successful set of TV shows on the ABC, uh, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, and now Old People's Home for Teenagers is having another set of episodes. I understand that you've been working with a similar arrangement where there's a childcare centre in proximity to a nursing home. How has that been working? Yeah, it's actually quite an exciting uh, opportunity to be able to collaborate and uh, evaluate uh, with the Rural Care Australia. So there's a facility just slightly outside uh, Mildura. So the project is led by uh, Darren uh, Mitchley. And uh, we're collaborating to see how the co-located aged care and the childcare facility, you know, can actually benefit not only the aged care residents, but also the childcare, uh, you know, kids, you know, from uh, four years old, zero to four, really. So it's it's an exciting, I guess, uh, opportunity for rural communities. Uh, Therese mentioned about, you know, intergenerational, you know, I think having the ability to interact socially with people across all ages, it's important not only for the young kids, but also for older people. Is the nursing, well, I guess the aged care model that we have now still fit for purpose? Because I think it was designed when we lived shorter lives, wasn't it? Exactly. We do now live, you know, up to 90, up to 100. And, you know, we pretty much, you know, live as an older people quite long. If you imagine about, you know, 65 to 90 or 65 to 100 uh, years old, uh, so the model that we currently have now is no longer fit for purpose. People want uh, different things in life. And the way we learn, the way we live uh, our lives, you know, are totally different. So I think, you know, it's time for us to really think about, you know, what do we want, you know, as a society, as a community in the future and how we can continue to support not only ourselves, but also our community to continue to grow. So I'm a strong believer of a lifelong learning. You know, you will never, you know, you can never stop uh, learning. And that makes life, you know, interesting and, you know, have a meaning and purpose in life. Yes, the meaning and the purpose is, is what's clearly coming through here in this discussion of Yuchuwala Jiwa, this aged care facility uh, that the Yulnu people have campaigned for and seen come to pass in Nulanboy. We've been hearing from Therese Marchesi about how it works and Irene Blackbury as well, the John Richards Chair and Director of the John Richards Centre at La Trobe University about issues in aged care more broadly across this country. Her specialty is research into the care economy. Therese, we touched earlier on staffing issues. Tell us what happens at your centre when new staff come and encounter this quite different model of care. 
We have got, at the moment, obviously, because we're in a remote setting, we initially didn't have our housing um, completed in time for the facility to open, but we made a commitment to the community that we would, our first priority was making sure people didn't have to leave and go to Darwin because we weren't able to fully staff. So the facility has opened in stages and we've been quite creative in how we've been able to deliver um, care to the to those first few residents. Um, we've got some agency staff who've come in and I guess at the, and they are the nursing staff, but locally we have um, Riella workers who've done their training in individual support are able, and they, we've got five ladies at this point in time that were trained by Crest NT and supported, we were supported through ALPA um, in um, identifying people who would be interested in coming to work at the facility. And my understanding is that ALPA have uh, literally people lined up wanting to do the training and come and work here because the flexibility of aged care means it's 24 seven care. We can do all sorts of shifts, you know, that it's shift work. So people can be full-time, part-time, casual, et cetera, et cetera. At this point, we've got five ladies trained up and two cultural advisors as well. Um, who came, who have transitioned from the advisory team into having an oversight within the facility. And then we have two um, well, Riella workers who are the kind of senior Riellas, I suppose, um, who support those, those staff on the ground and are the conduit between the medical staff that come in and the local people and families. So we've got a model where we have consistency in terms of the management and um, that middle management and then the Riala workers step in and out according to when they're available and then agency and some local um, nurses who also live in the region and who provide us support as well. And so people who come in who perhaps have not encountered this this kind of arrangement before, what do they say? Particularly some of the more uh, experienced older workers, I understand you've, you've got some interesting reactions from them. We have. Well, so one of the, uh, the, what was really important to the advisory team was that we never lost sight of what this was all about and that we never, it never got watered down once the building was complete. So the work that went into actually developing a deep understanding of the significance of this facility with the builders, for example, who I believe had a life-changing experience, we all did through working together. We also have our, um, everybody who comes in reads the story of the vision of the name of the facility. So that's the first thing they have to do is understand what, what they're coming into and and actually who is guiding the care and that is the Riala staff. So we are, all staff are guided by Riala workers. Um, the We've had some, yeah, some some agency staff come in who've put their names down straight away to come back again. So that's really sort of telling as to the experience that they've had. And I've had a lot, we've had a lot of people say, if only this was done in the rest of the country, what a difference it would make to aged care. Well, Teresa, how much, how far do you think that would be possible? Because you've got quite a specific set of circumstances there. As you said, you know, it's 100,000 kilometres of remote land that's your catchment. You've got communities with very specific needs. Uh, Or, you know, maybe they're not that specific. Maybe other communities would would like to see the same kind of thing, the same kind of involvement from community, the same kind of attachment to the land that they're on and the, the loved ones that they're near. Do you think it could be done in other places? I do. I think even with us, with our first five ladies that started with the, in the training, for example, we deliberately picked people who people made the assumption would not be able to work in this kind of environment possibly. And yet they did and they love it and they're turning up. And 
um, you know, we, we have all sorts of challenges that other people don't have. So I don't really see why it wouldn't be possible to emulate something very similar. With the starting point of, of um, certainly in a new facility, but the starting point of understanding what people actually enjoy about living in their aged care setting or versus what isn't working for them and then going back and working from there because that's basically what we did. We just listened to the people about what they wanted to see happening and experiencing and we made that happen. And I think that, um, you know, we all, we, we need to go back to actually stopping and listening to what people need from, from care. I know hospitals are working really hard to change the way they approach um, their patients and something very similar could be transferred over to aged care in the rest of Australia, where we actually stop and ask people if it's working for them and if it's not, how could, you know, what are the little things that could be done that make a difference? It's a disturbing idea that it's a radical move to ask people what they want and then listen to the answers. Therese, I very much appreciate you taking the time out from your uh, day to chat to us on Life Matters today about your Chihuahua Jiwa. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure. Therese Marchesi is the Executive Manager for Empowered Communities at the Yothu Yindi Foundation, and she was the Project Manager for Yuchiwala Jiwa. Irene Blackberry uh, is the John Richards Chair and Director of the John Richards Centre at La Trobe University. Thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters, Irene. Thank you, Hilary. This is RN. My name's Hilary Harper. I'll read you a couple of the texts that came through on this. They're pretty powerful. Yet another symptom of the failure of the nuclear family to work for the benefit of the actual family. They say, my mother nursed both of her parents at the house we all lived in till they died. We all helped, of course, as did her siblings. The nuclear family model was designed to make money for businesses to benefit industry, not the people living in the unnatural family units. Yes, so I guess the counter argument is there are a lot of people doing a lot of unsustainable labour in their homes without adequate support of the right kind. Maybe maybe there's some kind of combination model that could work. Another text from Kate, I think most people don't like visiting in a hospital environment for our elderly. A relative had quite a few visitors in the beginning and now four years later, no one visits as there's a hospital feel and smell and people bedridden next to able-bodied so-called residents. Very sad, says Kate, to be just wasting away but being fed well and kept alive. What are we doing? <laughs> ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.